Um, we are uh, on the final stretch of our psalm series right now, going through book two, um, and uh, we'll be in Ephesians after this. So far, the Lord's leading us that direction, and so uh, we can be looking forward to Ephesians together. But uh, Psalm 63 is where we are this morning, and uh, we will ride on the wake of so many prayers this morning that have gone forth over our time uh, as we get into the Word. And so Psalm 63 starts out, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And so uh, it's believed that this was about the time that he was king later on in his life when his son Absalom revolted against him and pushed him out of Jerusalem, out into the wilderness. Hunger and thirst in the midst of crying out for our God. God, you are my God. A serious word, Matthew Henry says. It's a pity that these words are used as bywords in our day. Not necessarily using God's name in vain, because that's not even what that's about. But still, that we would use our God's name in ways that don't declare his holiness. Don't declare his majesty. Or as he says, O Elohim, you're my El. Elohim, my Mighty God, you are my mighty one. David says that this God is his God. And would that be the case for you this morning? That Elohim, it's a name for God, meaning mighty God. Is Elohim your God? I want you to just let the Holy Spirit speak to you this morning and search your heart. Because maybe that's not the case. Maybe there are many other people, places, things, those are nouns, that are your God. I passed first grade grammar school, happy to say. But Jeremiah says that in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, in Jesus... In the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, something happens where when we are born again, he takes out a heart of stone that does not beat and is dead and does not know God, and he places within us a heart of flesh that moves and is, is, is strong and pumps and is full of life and now knows God. He says that in that time, I write the law in their hearts and in their minds. And no longer do we have to say to one another, hey, know God, because we're all going to know God under the new covenant. But in that covenant, Jeremiah prophesies, I will be their God, and they will be my people. And so if you're here today, and the Lord has shown you that Everything under the sun that is pleasant and pleasing, you prefer over the one who created those things. That in fact, you have another God in your life that is not Elohim. It's a created thing. And Romans says that that is a depraved mind that worships the created things rather than the creator who's blessed forever. And if that is the case for you, I would submit in all humility that you have yet to be born again. You have yet to be a partaker of the new 
covenant. Because in the new covenant, he's your God. El is your El. Elohim is your El. And if this morning you would hear his voice saying, do you hear the preacher up there? I'm speaking through him to tell you, I am not your God. You are not born again. You are perishing in your sins. Everything else you love, you'll lay down your life for. You'll give up your time and your resources, your choicest possessions, your choice money, your choice day of the week. But I am not your God. And I have no part in you nor you in me. And if you hear his voice, the book of Hebrews says, do not harden your heart today as in the rebellion. And if you hear his voice today, call on him. Respond to him. He's pursuing you. Return to him. And Hebrews says, in that you will enter rest. You will enter rest for your soul. Oh God, you are my God. And in the new covenant, something that Jesus purchased for us as we took communion, we remembered as he said, when you take the cup and you take the bread, you do it in remembrance of me and what I have purchased with my blood is the new covenant that I will be your God and you will be my people. The fugitive poet, David, out in the desert, confesses his allegiance to the only living God and a firm faith in his writing enables him to claim God as his own. He says, early will I seek you. Early in the morning or first thing, I'll be on the lookout, earnestly seeking, earnestly longing for you. It's been said that one of the distinguishing words from this psalm, I don't know if you remember when we were in the park two weeks ago, this distinguishing word of Psalm 62 was only, only you, Lord, only you. The distinguishing word of Psalm 63 is early, early, first. You are first. Early will I seek you. Early in the morning, maybe before the sun comes up, before our wife and kids rise. Before the phone starts buzzing and going off. I get up before those things and I seek you and I pursue you. Because Elohim, you are my El. When the bed is the softest, we are tempted to forsake the early rising. Psalm 50, or excuse me, it's not 51, it's 5-1. says, give ear to my words, O God. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I will pray. You guys are starting to sing it. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee. You know, you guys, you guys singing it? No, nobody knows that one. It's a song. It's written but Psalm 5, 1 through 3 tells us, Lord, consider my meditation. I'm seeking you early in the morning. I direct my prayer to you. In Psalm 62 and Psalm 63, you might notice a theme from our two Sundays ago in the park. And this, that the Lord desires his people who are his God to seek him in the morning hours. You know, as we could give him, watch out, look out for that guy. As we would give him the first fruits of our possessions, teaching my son about, hey, Russell, if you fill up a bucket of weeds, I'll give you a buck. 
a buck for a bucket, right? And so he's <laughs> fluffing them up. You've got to push him down in there and fill that bad boy up. A buck a bucket, buddy. And then he comes, he gets seven bucks. I'm like, okay, now we're going to teach you about giving the first fruits of that, the best of that, right when it's in your pocket. And you're like, I'm going to go buy a video game, buddy. It's like, well, not so fast. Looks like you're going to have to wait a little while. Because we want to give of the first fruits, of the best. When it's still the best in our hearts, before anything else gets it, the Lord gets it. And we give the first fruits. It's the same with our day. We want to give our day to Facebook and to the news and to this and to that. In the morning, I'll direct my prayer to you. My soul thirsts for you, the psalmist says. My heart and breath desires you. Thirst is that just insatiable hunger. It's something that we have to have. It's something that you can't ignore when you're thirsty. Interesting movies out these days of uh, shipwrecked sailors, you know, Unbreakable, Louis Zamperini, you know, such a great story. Many of you have probably heard. And, and him being stuck out on a life raft, sitting the world record, you know, of some uh, 90 days and 4,000 miles across the ocean. And, and uh, in the heart of the sea, you know, these shipwrecked Moby Dick sailors, you know, and and uh, this vacation, Russell and I sat and watched um, at, Against the Sun, uh, some bomb, dive bomber pilots in the Pacific during World War II that crashed and floated for 38 days and no water, just waiting for a cloud to just drop so they can get their, t you know, their only t-shirts, all they had, and ring them into their mouths. And, you know, if you watch Bear Grylls, you know what comes next, you know. And so uh, that's, uh, you know, you can understand that, man, when you're floating in the boat and there's no water, that's all you can think about is water. Gotta have water. My tongue is dry and should have been parched. As the Psalm 22 says, my tongue clings to my jaw. And David says, Lord, that's how my soul is for you. Just longing for you. Just all I can think about is you. An insatiable longing. Thirst will be heard. Man will yield to its power. And when we've been regenerate and born again, the Spirit of God draws us towards that, that heart thirst. And in John chapter 7, Jesus says in a beautiful passage, it just couldn't have been written any better, that on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then it says, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so today, as he maybe points you towards spiritual thirst for him, a soul hunger, a soul thirst he says if any of you thirst come to me he's the one that draws he's the one that's showing you do you see how you thirst come to me and i will give you living water and out of your heart will flow living waters as he tells the woman at the well you'll never thirst again what's he talking about water he's not even talking about water he's talking about the holy spirit we are dry and empty caverns that when we believe upon the Lord, he places the spirit 
his own presence within us. And it is such a powerful work when he does that, the new covenant, the Holy Spirit in us, that we will be changed never to be the same again, full of life, full of power. And to top that off, not only do we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but we have the baptism with the Holy Spirit upon us, which I believe is a separate act where he pours out the Spirit, not only in us, which is done at salvation, but upon us and overflowing us and bubbling up for the purpose of power to preach the gospel to this world. And David, in the midst of the wilderness, says, I'm thirsty for you. And Jesus says, hey, those of you who are thirsty for me, I'll quench. And more than quench, I'll let a fountain spring up out of you. The language in the Greek in the New Testament is to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Just a bubbling spring where life just comes out, power out of us. Maybe you came through those doors and spiritually, if you're honest, your tongue will cling to your jaw. I'm so thirsty. You're thirsty. You didn't even know you were thirsty. The Lord has shown you today. Drink of Him. And He'll do more than just have a little cup of water. He'll have water, have drinks. I'm just going to pour out water up and over you. You will be saturated with my presence. I'll take the thirst away. Flesh longs for you, David says. My body yearns for you. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be filled. I'm reminiscent of Psalm 42. As the deer pants, pants for the watery brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. Our psalm says, in a dry and weary land where there's no water. He's in the Judean wilderness, a desert landscape. The ground has no water. My life has no water. There's nothing good that would just cause me pleasure. But the Lord, more of you, God. I want more of you. A weary place and a weary heart make the presence of God all the more desirable. I hope you come in here weary today. Many times at church, how is everybody doing? You guys ready to worship? Like, woo, let's rock. It's like, man, I hope that you are weary coming in here, that you can drink of the Lord and find his presence delightful. Song of Solomon, interesting metaphor of a relationship between Christ and the church. We see the Shulamite, I sought him, but I did not find him. The watchmen who go about the city found me. I said, have you seen the one I love? Later on in another chapter, it says, tell him that I'm lovesick. And I hope that's how we are for the Lord. I hope the Lord does that work in you today. Making you lovesick for him. Searching for the one you love. Have you seen the one I love? I was telling a friend the other day, just a story from my senior year of personal finance in high school. We had to dress up and do mock interviews and, you know, showed up looking pretty dapper. And uh, as I was there, uh, you know, mock interviews in front of the whole class, Mr. Rogers, tell us a little bit about yourself. Boom, just went right into telling people about Jesus. 
and how Jesus, you know, found me and saved me. And I used the phrase in this senior high, senior year class that I fell in love with Jesus. And my teacher, stop right there, just stop right there. That's just so dumb. Just don't say that. Like, oh, it's just weird. Don't say you fell in love with Jesus. Like, I'm just telling you in an interview, don't ever say that. Oh, all right, go on, you know. I'm just like, okay. It is with Jesus of whom my heart beats stronger. Yeah, I don't, you know, it's like, <laughs> the world doesn't get it. Many of you don't get it. There was a time when I didn't get it. Today, if you would hear his voice, he is knocking on the door of your heart. Would you open it today so that he could come into you and dine with you and you with him? He'll satisfy the longing of the thirst and the hunger. There comes a point in every Christian, the Lord takes us to that place where we have such a strong, intimate longing and desire for him. Where for a while we kind of dabble in the world a little bit and taste of, you know, maybe this will satisfy and we're learning and the Lord is showing us these things won't do it. Myself and I alone will satisfy the soul craving. And we hope today that it's sooner than later for you. Tatum, seriously? Don't worry, guys. We'll discipline her when we get home. We pray that it's sooner, that it's today, that you realize your heart hunger for the Lord. Verse 2, So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. I'm seeking you, Lord. I'm longing for you. I'm thirsty and starving beyond physical thirst in drought. So I've gone to your sanctuary. Not to see the relics and the ornaments and the religious symbols of the tabernacle, but for you, Lord. It is there that your power and your glory are. And I want to see it. I want to see your power. I want to see your glory. One thing I've desired of the Lord, and that will I seek. Sing it. I'm not going to. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That's the one thing I want, the one thing I seek, that I may dwell in your house. To behold the beauty, the beauty of the Lord. To inquire in the temple, the temple of the Lord. Psalm 84, 2, my soul longs, Yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out to the living God. Sing it, it's a song. My heart and flesh cry out for you, the living God, that I might see your power, your might, your fortification, and your glory. Our prayer for you today is that you might taste and see his power, his glory. That it would change you. An encounter with him this morning would change you. It's changed so many of us. He has. Making him personal. Verse 3, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Your loving kindness, your loyal love, your covenantal love and favor is more pleasant and desirable than a lifespan of all the joys of life. You are better than that. Life is dear. 
But God's love is dearer, Spurgeon says. Paul even says in Philippians, man, I'm hard-pressed between the two. Like, I have a desire to depart and be with the Lord, but, man, I also know that there's a life here that he has for me. But, man, to be there would be so much better. To be with him is better than life. So my lips shall praise you. In studying the Psalms, I've been finding that this phrase that appears time and time again It speaks of our mouths and our lips being like a riverbank that just is overflowing. My lips shall praise you. Speaks of an overflow of praise and worship. Hosea says that we offer the sacrifice of our lips as he takes away our iniquity. And as we realize he has taken away our sin, what can we do but have just an overflow from our heart up through our throat and just bubbling out of our lips, lips that offer sacrifices of praise to Him. That's what happens when we realize our iniquities have been taken away, our sins have been washed away. Hebrews 13.10 starts with telling us the gospel and goes into that concept. It says in Hebrews 13.10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So Hebrews does the synonyms between the tabernacle, earthly tabernacle, and the heavenly tabernacle, uh, the one that Jesus is the high priest of. And he says the lambs, they would be outside the gate. And just as Jesus, the Lamb of God, suffered outside the gate 13 says therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp bearing his reproach for here we have no continuing city but we seek the one to come listen therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to god that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name So Jesus, our high priest, who also was our sacrificial lamb, who didn't make sacrifices, but sacrificed himself once and for all to atone for the sins of the world, he has done it for us outside of the gates on the mount called Calvary in Jerusalem. Therefore, let us continually offer sacrifices of praise to God. Let it just come bubbling out of our lips. Jesus, thank you for being our great high priest. Jesus, thank you for suffering for us outside the gates of Jerusalem, north of the city on Mount Calvary. Lord Jesus, thank you for letting your precious blood wash away my sins. My lips shall praise you. My lips shall praise you. While it's true that it's in song, it doesn't have to be only in song. It's so great been just spending more and more time with just even some farmers outside of the church and riding with Joe and, you know, as we're just out riding, just, just, we're just out there riding, moving cows and he's just like praising Jesus with his lips. And it's just so neat that just, man, as we're just spending time together, we can just praise the Lord, praise the Lord about this, praise the Lord about that. Now it's time to sing, praise the Lord about that. Now we'll just talk about it now. You know, praising the Lord with our lips because there's just an, a bubbling fountain, speaking of the Holy Spirit too, that causes us to praise him. Verse 4 says, thus I will bless you while I live. I I will live. (laughs) Sorry. There we go. I will lift up my hands in your name. 
While we live, we love. As long as I live, I will bless you, worship you, adore you. But then also, we've got the the mouth worship. We've got it bubbling out of our lips. But then notice this other part of worship, physically. I will lift up my hands in your name. And I know that, man, I've been there. When you come to church, and maybe it's a new thing for you, and you're learning of the Lord, and you're learning about worship, and you've got people that are just singing. We've all, all kinds of different beautiful voices going on here, all kinds of not-so-beautiful voices, but we love them, and we want them to keep on coming. And as we're singing out, then you'll notice people are lifting their hands up. Well, that's just a little bit weird. And I remember thinking that. The more we read the Scripture, there's a proper biblical place of hands worshiping the Lord, of our body posture reflecting our heart posture. We understand that that's strange and foreign to so many as they begin to have a relationship with Jesus, but man, we want to be biblical in our worship. And there are many things that happen in churches today that are unbiblical in the name of worship. But you know, we believe that lifting hands up is a very biblical thing in our songs and in our prayers. And maybe today is a day that the Lord just wants you to grow in body postures of worship. Letting your body reflect hearts. In the Psalms we have, Behold, bless the Lord. As we lift up our name, Psalm 143 says, I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. So just as we're thirsty for the Lord, David says, man, it just seems to be that as I'm thirsty, you know, how my hands go up. Similar to, you know, watching this movie with the, these sailors on a life raft, and they had one rescue plane fly around their vicinity and didn't see them. And as they, they were up, out of the raft, just like, hey, hey! What are you doing raising your hands up? Don't you realize how silly that is? Just ridiculous lifting your hands up. There's proper places where we got to lift our hands up in the reality of worshiping the real mighty god hands go up hands go up in worship to the lord as we're thirsty like how the psalmist says that i spread out my hands to you spread them out to you lord the way the hebrews would worship if they were praying prayers of receiving from the lord they would just place their hands in just a posture of receiving. And, and, you know, and then as they're giving praise to the Lord, and, and the word in Greek worship is to bow down and to kiss toward the Lord. Just, I'm just throwing kisses your way, Lord. I'm just worshiping you, Lord. Romans tells us that we're to not present our members, speaks of our hands and our eyes and our ears and our mouths and our feet, We're not to present our members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but rather as instruments of righteousness to God. That's something the Lord wants to work in us as we're saved. No longer do these lips spout out just vile, foul, poisonous words. But now they speak forth blessings and praise to the Lord and words of comfort and encouragement to the people around us. No longer do these hands do things that are wicked, but they go to the Lord and they're stretched out and they serve the Lord. Instruments of righteousness in worship to God. 
Paul says in the New Testament, I desire that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Men everywhere pray this way. That we pray this way, that we sing this way. Well, it's just a distraction up there on stage and wherever else. You know what? Like the Lord is pretty gracious as far as that goes. In 1 Kings chapter 8, when Solomon is dedicating the temple, they actually built a platform in front of the temple that he went and stood in front of the nation And it says that he prayed like a prayer of consecration over the temple. And he got down on his knees. He's he's on a platform or a stage. And then he's on his knees on the stage. And while he's on his knees, the hands go up. And he just prays this prayer of intercession over the temple. That it would be a place that people would pray towards. Realizing that the presence of the Lord was dwelling there. And in his prayer, he prays about, man, when people are going through times of famine and starvation because of their sin, let them pray prayers of repentance. And would you hear from this place and hear their prayer? And when the Gentiles from far off lands come to know you, would they pray? And would you hear their prayer? And there he is, just on his knees. And and when anyone sins, and he says, for there is none who do not sin against you. And they turn and pray towards you, Lord, hear their prayer and forgive their iniquity. And at the beginning of the prayer and at the end of the prayer, it speaks of Solomon on his knees and his hands spread out and then he gets up off his knees and he lowers his hands. And just how there's a proper place in our worship. And I think that, you know what, as we really get to know the Lord and he shows us who he is, worship is much more than about singing. It's much more about reading words on a screen. It's much more than Sundays, and it's more than Wednesday nights. It's, it's more than just entertain me, worship team. Come on, hit those licks, you know, get that beat. What, like, it's more than that. In fact, it's not even about that. And our hearts begin to, as we see the Lord, and he's taken away our iniquity, and he's suffered outside the gate for us. He bore our reproach. Man, Praise just comes bubbling up. And hands just go lifting up. And there's times that knees hit the deck. Our body posture reflecting our heart posture. Again, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips, he says. When I remember you on my bed, verse 6, I meditate on you in the night watches. What sweet times the midnight prayer closet between our sheets can be. And just funny how just sometimes the Psalms just remind you that, hey, this is a good place to pray. And there's been times where Lindsay's asleep, and I'm, that's not often she's up a lot actually, but there's times where Lindsay's asleep, and I just, I'm in turmoil, or I'm just, man, I'm not sleeping, and I just pray, and I'll lift my hands up, but it's out, so it's kind of strange. But it's like, man, my heart just praying gotta lift gotta lift my hands up but that okay like lift i spoke the other day about going in my backyard in the in the night watches and just i'm down there in the valley behind my house and i'm just i can't reach my hands high enough to the lord trying not to sing too loud because the neighbors you know and all that but just hands up 
And I know it sounds weird, and I know it sounds funky, and I've been there. And I'm not asking you that, Johnny, come on up, and let's make sure that everybody's lifting their hands up and singing loud. We might do that, but probably not. Just kidding, we won't. But maybe the Lord would just be speaking to you right now that, okay, on the way home, maybe you came by yourself. Just, hey, let's just drive home. And on the drive home, just start, let's start practicing this. Let's start singing, huh? Just sing, just, just you and me. Sing to me. Oh, God, you are my God. All right, he loves it. Might lift my hand up as I drive. You know, lift the hand up. People are wondering what you're doing as you're driving. It's okay. Start practicing in your private prayer closet. And the Lord will just be growing in you as you step out in faith. Lord, you speak about lifting our hands up. I'm going to grow and lift my hands. You talk about hitting the deck, I'm going to hit the deck. Talk about singing out to you, praying out to you. Lord, I want to respond in that way from my heart. But wonderful times in the night. Spurgeon says, we see best in the dark if we there see God best. Sometimes it's just quiet. He's woken you up. There's a reason he has woken you up. Listen to him. Who do you want me to pray for? What's going on? Like, I just want to start thinking about you in these quiet times and quiet places. Verse 7, because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. Why would I pray at nighttime? Because he's been your help. Don't forget that. Start a diary. One of the best things is to, I don't always keep a diary. It's occasional. But it's so wonderful to find the journal and to read it and to see God's, and then I'll go in and I'll write answered prayers. Wow, amazing how this was answered. I can't believe that I forgot I even prayed that. Wow, you know, you write of God's faithfulness. And it's there on our beds at night where we realize, oh, you have been so faithful, Lord. Thanks for waking me up in this quiet place. Because you've been my help, therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice protection of wings you know the lord uses this in the psalms oftentimes to speak of how he wants to gather us and protect us and keep us safe and warm and david says it's in that place that i will cry out shrilly and loudly and i'll let my voice ring this being under his wings speaks of abiding in his tabernacle dwelling under his shadow and protection of his wings you know, on a small scale, I remember hearing of, uh, you know, the, the chickens and how they bring the little chicks under their wings. And there was a story of a barn fire and how all the little chicks went under the chickens' wings. And as the barn fire just burned and tore everything down around it, when the farmer came out in the morning and it was all done, there was a crispy fried chicken right there. But underneath were living little chicks that had been protected. In the same way, I read of another story this week of a, of a, he's a preacher, but when he was a kid, he grew up on a farm, and he remembers just a hen who had the hardest time getting her chicks to stay. She had rebellious little chicks, and they're, you know, get under here, and they're just like, you know, just like, ah. and he just writes about just this poor hen, you know, gray, gray hairs or feathers, you know, and, and he writes about there was a horrible winter freeze that came early. And this hen, he remembers going out for the night and making sure, and the hen's just like, get under here, get under here, get under here. Chicks wouldn't stay under there. And he comes out in the morning, and there's the hen, and she's just so distraught. 
all of her little chicks had been frozen. So we can either find protection under the shadow of his wings, or we'll find ourselves out there by ourselves in the elements, ready to be picked off. He desires us to be under the shadow of his wings. Jesus says when he came into Jerusalem towards the end of his life, he wept and he cried over Jerusalem and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather you under my wings as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. And man, think of today and think of the message the Lord has had for us today. And he's been speaking to your heart. He's been telling you, you're not my, I'm not your God. You're your own God. We don't have this relationship, but I'm coming to you. I'm knocking on the door of your heart. I want to pursue relationship with you. I've bought a covenant with you, with my own blood, where I will be your God and you will be my people. Oh, you're very religious. Oh, you're very polished on the outside. Oh, no one would know anything's wrong, but I know that you're not born again. You're not saved and you will perish in hell. And the Lord has been knocking and the Lord has been pursuing today. And he would say to you, oh, you can insert your name. Here I am longing to gather you under my wings. But you were not willing. Don't reject. Don't resist. Hear his call today. Do not harden your heart. I'll rejoice in the shadow of your wings. Verse 8, my soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. Out in the desert, David is. Going through horrible family drama. Son Absalom. Chasing him out of his own castle. Chasing him out of his city. Trying to usurp his throne. And as David goes out, out of Jerusalem, fleeing with all of his followers, going up the Mount of Olives, being stoned, and people throwing rocks and kicking him up dust and cursing him as he leaves town, going out into just the desert, deserted place, what does he say? My soul follows close behind you, Lord. I'm leading you in this time. I'm following hard after you, Lord. My heart is glued to you. And your strong right hand upholds me. In another place, he says, my foot slips, but you in your mercy will hold me up. Notice from this psalm that it is the power of the Lord that keeps us near to him. Through the rest of our life, is your foot going to slip, believer? It's going to slip. You're going to stumble and you're going to fumble and you're going to bumble. And maybe you're in one of those places right now that he wants you to know that there is nothing that will separate you from the love of Christ. Not death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, Romans chapter 8 tells us. He upholds you by his mighty right hand. And today as you are here, in his doing so, he is rebuking you for your sin. And for your wandering and for your running. But it is a loving rebuke of correction. As a father corrects his child. And he says, come back. I'll uphold you. With my mighty right hand. Verse 9. To those who seek my life to destroy it. Shall go in the lowest parts of the earth. Time and time again throughout the scriptures. Anyone who seeks the life of the Lord's beloved. Will be brought into mutual confusion. And that is many times our prayer. There's been many times as a church. That we realize man we have got enemies that are attacking us. 
And let's go to prayer. And we're not saying that we're all righteous. In fact, many times in David's prayers, he says, Lord, if I'm the wrong one and my enemy's the right one, then correct me and change me. And vice versa, Lord. But anyone who's seeking to usurp your glory and what you're doing in this church, oh Lord, would you just cause them to be brought to mutual confusion? And so often we see that in the Old Testament when battles are happening and the Lord goes out there and he comes in and intervenes in the battle. You know, just the the enemy warriors just are like, what? And they just start stabbing each other with their swords. And their, their hand goes against their own buddies. That's what the Lord does when he comes to fight for us. He brings in confusion. He swallows them up by the ground as he did to Korah and his sons who came and rose against Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Verse 10 says, They fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. The enemies of the Lord's people made their people his prey, and now they are the prey of the foxes. Verse 11, But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Of the worship team come up. This song, it's been known to have messianic implications. There's a climax pertaining to the Messiah here where the king rejoices in God. And we know our king to be Jesus. He rejoices in the Father. We rejoice in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As the King is brought to triumph, and as Jesus has been brought to triumph, though he died on the cross, he didn't stay dead, but he rose from the dead in victory. He was vindicated in his resurrection. He showed the world, I was indeed innocent, and I am indeed the Son of God. And when he rose to heaven, I think it's Psalm 43, writes of this homecoming of the Son back to the throne of God. And it speaks of the gates of heaven and the bars of heaven opening wide. Who is this king of glory? This king, strong and mighty. It's a homecoming song for Jesus coming back and sitting at the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to pray for you and for me as a sympathetic high priest. He's sympathetic to us today. He's been where where we are. And as you can set your Bible and your things aside, and let's just move towards an attitude of prayer. He wants you to know that he knows your plight this morning. He knows that you have been in a wilderness. He knows 20 years ago the wilderness that you've walked through. It's having lasting effects and consequences today. And he wants you to know that, hey, I'm there. And I brought you to this place today for a drink of water that will never run dry. I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. Today, for those of us that that is true, we rejoice. Our heart bubbles over with a wellspring of song. Our hands are lifted high. And we rejoice in the hope that he'll bring our accusers to nothing. And we will glory in our king.
We're going to sing that way today. We're going to sing the songs of victory and joy and praise. And for those of you who would come here and outside those doors, God was not your God. And inside these doors, He has been relentlessly pursuing you. He wants to be your God. He wants to bring you in under the shadow of His wings and provide warmth and comfort and protection. He wants to take out of you a heart of stone and place in you a heart of flesh that beats and is alive and knows Him. A very natural thing. No one's going to have to tell you, hey, know God, would you? No, you'll know Him. You'll know why people sing to God. You'll know why people lift their hands to God. And as He would draw you today, turn to Him. Turn from your sins to serve the living God. Find drink in the wilderness. Find soul food. Find hope. Find forgiveness. Find a new future. Find protection from enemies. And watch him radically put your enemies down. Find your king. Glory in your king. As we close in song, maybe for the first time, you would glory in your king. Some for the hundredth time. Hearts overflowing, glorying in the king. Let's follow Jesus together. Let's be disciples together. Let's go make disciples together. For the glory of God among the nations. Let's stand together, let's worship.